Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Caffeinators, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, recommended by nine out of 10 veterinary technicians, because saying 10 out of 10 would sound made up. Um, <laughs> we'd like to thank all of you caffeinators for your continued support by repping our merchandise. Um, and uh, we've got some new stuff coming out. Um, so keep an eye on that as well. To all of our Patreons, thank you for your continued support. And we actually have a new Patreon I want to give a shout out to. She was one of our most recent guests yeah. in our uh, main mental health series. So Heather Carter, thank you very much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Um, if you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, if this is your first time here, head over to vettechcafe.com for all the info about Dave and I, who we are, why we do this, kind of our path in veterinary medicine. Um, where you can like and follow and subscribe on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. We have a YouTube channel that we post all of the live videos from our tap rooms to. Yeah, so lots to to see and do and follow along here at the Vet Tech Cafe. Um, Dave, how's it going out there? What's up? What's on your mind? Uh, it's going good. Uh, just got back from Chicago um, a few mm -hmm. days ago. Um, I spoke at the vet show. Amazing time in yep. Chicago. Uh, my gosh, there's so much stuff to do in Chicago. Um, <laughs> the aquarium was, was amazing. Uh, the, we went to the zoo, uh, one day that was a little bit much cause the zoo is a, it, it's a free zoo. So there were droves and droves of children there. Wow. Um, and, and at one point we were like, it would be great if this actually costs money because <laughs> it would it would cut it down. But then we were thinking, well, if if we do that, then you know some of these kids, maybe some of these inner city kids, wouldn't be exposed to some of this stuff. So we're like, right, All right I guess we have to accept this. Um, but but yep. so much to do there. And honestly, I didn't even we didn't even get to do any of the baseball stuff I wanted to do. So um, next time we go out there. Um, I said we are doing all the baseball things, um, but, but this time we did a lot of like touristy <laughs> things. We did an architecture tour. Uh, it was amazing out there. Um, other than the fact that it was probably about 15 to 20 degrees colder than what we're used to here in North Carolina, everything was amazing. And right. the people at Vet Show That's were amazing. Awesome. Um, took great care of me. Um, couldn't be happier. Yeah. Uh, I, I do. They, they sent me a survey and they're like, do you want to do this again next year? And I was like, heck yeah, I want to do this next year. Um, yeah. So yes, I, I would definitely recommend vet show to everybody um yeah both as a as an attendee and as a speaker um because it was just amazing yeah how things going out there couldn't agree more good good, good, good. and i couldn't agree no 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 no. we are we are packing um you might hear molly packing behind <laughs> me um we move a week from today 
painters are painting and all the things are going on, but, uh, but we are moving very soon. Um, and I just want to follow up to what you were saying about Chicago. Van. Yeah. Um, you recommended I, me, to, me to look into yeah, that. Yeah. I, I did the, the wild West vet, mm-hmm. um, which is same group of organizers, um, same kind of company a couple years ago and same thing. They took really great care of the speakers, um, really great group of attendees. Um, if there's a, Vet show near you. They also do London Vet Show and and a couple others here in the state. I think New York Vet. Um, really, really, really good, really good quality yeah. CE. So yeah. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, just um, moving and getting all of that stuff, you know, kind of lined up and ready to go. That's really all that's <laughs> going on here. That's new. So um, I won't bore everybody with that. Move, but, moving um, is one of the yeah one of the things that I yeah. say is the absolute worst thing that that humans have to do is yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah and thankfully like we're having movers do it all this time we're doing the packing but they're doing all the moving so very smart at least the heavy lifting will be will be done for us but um the packing and unpacking is always of course a chore so here we are here we are so (laughs) well we've got a uh, we've got another um you know, really, really great episode today. Now that Mental Health Awareness Month and those episodes are are in our rearview mirror, we'll have a recap of those um, in our tap room episode. But we're we're kind of pivoting back to regularly scheduled programming, if you will. And education has been another very constant theme um, on our podcast here on the Vet Tech Cafe about veterinary technician uh, education. We're going a little bit different direction today. I'm I'm really excited about this. So we have. Jen DeForge coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Jen is a certified veterinary technician and professionally licensed animal science educator in the state of Massachusetts. She earned her master's of education and in curriculum and teaching in 2020 and in 2022 completed the MAVA Leadership Academy, earning her M-A-D-E-S-E, Supervisor Director's License. She earned her Bachelor's of Science from UMass Amherst in 96. We were talking off air. Uh, You guys (laughs) were there about the same time. That's pretty cool. Um, In 2012, graduated as valedictorian from Holyoke Community College, where she earned the AS degree in veterinary technology. She's worked in all facets of, of veterinary medicine. And currently, she teaches veterinary science to high school students at an agricultural and technical high school. Her students have hands-on access to hundreds of animals, ranging from reptiles, rabbits and rodents, birds, equine, traditional livestock species. And then in addition to that, students participate in clinical rotations in the on-campus veterinary clinic, where they perform more traditional dog-cat veterinary assistant type responsibilities, and students have the option to earn their CVA, Certified Veterinary Assistant Credential, before graduation. That's awesome. Yeah. Lastly, uh, over the past year, she had the unique opportunity to collaborate with other Massachusetts animal science educators to revise and revamp the Massachusetts. I think this is Department of Education Standards Enforcement. I'm taking a leap there, but (laughs) I'm sure Jen will correct us. Um, Animal science frameworks as it relates specifically to veterinary science. Um, these standards act as the universal guide for all educators across the state of Massachusetts. So, Jen, thank you so much for taking some time out to to come talk to us today. Um, we're going to kind of go through all of that and more. But first off, what can we get you for a cup of coffee? Um, thank you just so much. Thank you so much, guys, for having me here. Um, as a Dunks girl, I am <laughs> falling in love with their butter pecan swirl lately. Which Ooh. I know, like the flavored coffees are like hit or miss, but um, I tried it on an iced coffee butter pecan swirl cream only is uh, my new favorite go-to right now. 
That that might be nice. something that I would have. Uh, I remember way back, oh gosh, this is probably 10, 15 years ago when they started to introduce the blueberry coffee. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that was just like, you're just trying to market coffee to people that don't like coffee. <laughs> oh, that that was my jam was the of blueberry. Course I, of the blue, course it was. Black black coffee, but with the blueberry <laughs> flavor. Mm, yep, absolutely. I, I would try yeah, the butter pecan sure. swirl. I, I, would, I would give that a go. I was I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised. I tried it once and I was like, oh, this is it was just refreshing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, now nah, yeah. this is my new nice. my new thing. Nice, nice. So um I know I kind of hit some highlights there in your bio, but if you will take us through your career path, what got you into veterinary medicine, some of the stops and things that led to some of the twists and turns along the way and, and what you're doing now and we'll jump off from there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Again, thanks so much for having me, guys. My path, I know many folks say that, you know, they fell in love with the animals and they wanted to always be somewhat in the, the veterinary field. Um, I wasn't really that person. I liked the animals, but I always wanted to be a hairdresser. So I actually went to um, cosmetology at Bay Path Regional Vocational Technical High School out in Charlton, Massachusetts. It's a vocational tech school and got my cosmetology license and started working in um, Boston in Harvard Square. And my clientele were Harvard college kids. And they'd come and sit in my seat and I'd do their hair. And I'm like a 17, 18 year old, right? Because I just, I graduated and I'm like, okay, peace out. I'm going to go, you know, figure out life. And these kids are telling me everything about college. I'm like, wait, that's fascinating. I want to do that. Like what I just didn't even really think about it because since I was six or seven, I was going to be a hairdresser and that was that. And so I went down that path. And then, so after figuring out that maybe, yes, hairdressing was great and cosmetology was great, um, but I wanted to try this college thing, I moved back home and took some um, classes at a local community college just to see if college was a thing for me and um, found that that was great and then transferred over to UMass Amherst because I wanted to do a full four-year program. Um, and picked up zoology because I thought that was hair and care for zoo animals. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea what zoology was. No oh, clue. Wow. Um, I was very focused to be a hairdresser at the time. I did not contemplate college. I did not look at college. So I even like when I took the SATs, I had to take them at UMass. Like I, I just wasn't on the college path because that was not what my intent was. But when I sat in my first zoology class and realized what it really was about, I went straight to the registrar and like, okay, get me out of this. This is not, I don't want to study zoology. And um, they said, oh, you want animal science. And I was like, oh yes, I want animal science. So started studying animal science and did a pre-veterinary track. Did think that maybe I would go on to vet school, not really knowing. Again, back in the 90s, if you wanted to work with animals, you were a vet. I, I really didn't know a lot about being a technician. I didn't know what an assistant was. I didn't know any of those changes. I just knew you worked in a vet's office or you didn't and you were a vet or you weren't. And so I went down that path and I liked the path. I loved some of my classes. They were fascinating. Um, But I wasn't focused enough to get into vet school right away. Um, That was the year 1996 was the year that the VCAS came out. And the VCAS was the unified uh, veterinary application where you check a box, send more money. You write one essay and it goes to all the different vet schools where previously you wrote several, you know, you wrote an individualized essay and you wrote individual checks and individual applications and needed different GREs and this one and Um, So it was just simplified. And that year, they saw a dramatic increase in um, applications. 
Now, I don't think I would have gotten in even if it was the tradition way because I was <laughs> I, I was focused, but I also worked a lot in college and um, my grades were good, but they weren't exceptional. So I thought, okay, what will I do then? Um, my very close girlfriend got into actually 10 different vet schools. And um, one of the ones that she selected was um, the Ohio State. So I decided I'm going to move to Ohio State with her. I'm going to live there for a little bit. I'll take some classes. I'll brush up my GPA, you know, and then I'll apply to vet school again. And so I worked out, lived and worked out in Ohio. Um, I actually worked in the human side of medicine for a little bit. And I just didn't want to work anymore. Like I just felt like I was working so much and I wanted to take just a little bit of a break. So I became a flight attendant and I traveled all over the world and I flew for about 12 years. Um, oh. But as you're kind of thinking of the timeline, 9-11 happened in yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, that really dramatically changed my world, not only as a flight attendant, but everybody's world. Right. Um, it just really changed what my job description was, what the just all the responsibilities of it Um the carefree nature was taken away. Like our, our lives really dramatically changed oh, yeah, um, yeah. at that time. And so I ended up um, no longer doing transatlantic flying and I stayed more domestic. But after a while, even five years after 9-11, the airline industry was still feeling the repercussions of 9-11 and we were laying off more and more and more. Um, and it came time that they were closing my base. I was, um, the base is like your home location. And I was either going to have to move to Charlotte or I can't remember now at the time. I think it was Charlotte or I maybe could have moved um, to Philly. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. It's, it's been a while now, but I, I didn't want to move. I, I decided, you know what? Nope, this is my time. I've always thought, you know, I'm going to go back and do something with animals. I haven't done, you know, what I thought I would want to do. And I thought I'm going to go make sure I can go get that credential. Now I've learned about what a vet tech is. Um, now I've learned that there's credentialed vet techs and that I can actually go to school to do that. So I put my feet on the ground in 2010, 2010 and um, went to Holyoke Community College. And that's when I got my associates and was able to study veterinary technology at the time. Um, and that was fascinating, being an adult learner versus um, someone who was kind of going through at 18, 19. I had a little bit of a different focus. And I also had um, a different type of drive because I, I wasn't trying to figure myself out as a lot of 20-year-olds do. That is a, a common path in life. I already figured out who I was. I had that 12 years of flying under my belt. I've kind of flown all over the world. So I was very driven. And I wanted emergency medicine. So I um, went to school and then was going to school usually like Monday through Thursday. And then I would do Friday nights and Saturday night overnights at a um, specialty emergency hospital and kind of blending everything and just almost burning the candle at both ends. But it was just for a short time. And I know, as you guys know, being in the ER and overnights is eye opening is one of the best ways to say it. All shifts are eye opening. Um, but sometimes the things that you see in the middle of the night are, um, are just great learning opportunities is the best way I can say it. Um, so I worked at that location for a long time and eventually um, didn't want to do overnights anymore. Right now I wanted to walk with the day people. Um, I was married. I wanted to kind of have a little bit more of a normal lifestyle that matched my husband's work schedule. And so then I would start doing some mid shifts and then 
I decided I wanted to do a little bit of per diem work in my own location because I kept seeing all these cases come through the ER and we'd ship them to neuro, we'd ship them to onco, we'd ship them to surgery, we'd ship them to IM. I'm like, but what happens? What happens over there? So I started picking up shifts in all of the departments. And then I realized I could create my own schedule. My hospital was big enough and had other sister locations that I was actually a full-time per diem for about three years where all I did was pick up shifts at three different locations. And I became very cross-trained because Mm. I now could see, oh, we do it this way in internal medicine. And hey, that's something that we can apply to the ER or we do something, they, they do this cool trick in surgery we can apply that in onco or vice versa, or this sister hospital does this and have you thought about it? And it just gave me a really wide perspective of what was happening in our own um, kind of network, but also how different people do things. And there's more than one way to get, you know, to an end result. And that was just super eye-opening. But with that being said, I also had some other folks who were like, Jen, you're really good at explaining things. Like, have you ever thought about teaching? And I was like, no, (laughs) that's just silly. (laughs) Um, But people would gravitate towards me and ask me questions. And I'd be like, no, no, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. I was definitely that geek. Like I studied all the time. Like I loved learning all these new things. And back when Mount Ida was still open, I then started doing some, I, I don't know if I was like a lab assistant. I don't know what my official title was. But I would go in during labs and help for either um, the A&P classes or some of the surgery classes or some of the lab classes. And I love that. I wasn't responsible for the curriculum at that time. I was going in helping other professors. Um, But I just got to work one on one with the students and kind of guide them through things. And that was great. And then my again, my company kind of saw that and they saw how I was working at different places. And they said, Hey, do you want to be part of our learning and development team? And I'm like, absolutely. So then I helped them create like the 16 week anesthesia course. And it's basically to take a entry level technician up to like a comfort level of running like an ASA one, ASA two, ASA three type of case. Because again, sometimes you're short staffed always, right. But especially (laughs) on overnight. So I would rearrange my schedule so I would create actual um, like curriculum for them. But then I would go in if there was an on-call surgery, I would come in and walk the person through the case. So because I didn't mind, I lived in a good location that I could go to three different hospitals. And we piloted that out with only about, I think it was about four or five students in the first class. But it worked really well and then we wanted to take it a little bit bigger but then at the same token, right, because networking is, is a big thing. And as time is progressing, um, a former person that I, that I worked with, a former coworker, uh, had posted on Facebook like, hey, I'm a high school teacher and we're going to be hiring. Is anybody interested? And I was like, hmm, that's mm. interesting. <laughs> um, so my, in, in full disclosure, I have a family full of teachers. So my sister is a teacher. Um, she's a grade school teacher. Um, I have a couple aunts who have been teachers. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally interested in that. Like it, it has stability of a schedule, right? And I'm passionate about vet med and this might be a great thing. So I've bombarded that poor individual with a million questions and just really dove right into it and um, ended up leaving my floor. And I, I was awarded or I was able to gain the position at my, at my first school. And so I worked there for a bit and then kind of the rest is history. I'm at a, I'm at a second school now, but it's just, I fell in love with it. But I, um, 
I do want to apologize to my very first class of students because I taught your analysis and I talked for two hours without giving them a break because I was fascinated <laughs> that I could talk about your analysis. And I was like, look at these crystals and is this one pretty and this. And I just remember my students like slumping. And again, <laughs> high school students, 16, 17, like yeah. who is this crazy lady who's coming in to teach us and why won't she stop talking? So if they ever hear this, I just want to publicly put out there, I apologize <laughs> that, that I thought it was a good idea to talk about urine for two hours. But <laughs> I, I've changed my teaching style um, dramatically since then. That was 2000, the very end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And I'm a much different teacher. So um, so that kind of, and now I'm the clinical instructor at a, um, an agricultural and um, technical school. Yeah. That's little, little curvy, That's amazing. Yeah. But I get That's there. Me. You went through so, yeah. like you went from hairdresser to pre-vet <laughs> to flight attendant, back to, back to tech. Like, Man, that that is just that's a wild ride. That's just a wild ride. <laughs> um, so, one of the things we always like to ask our our technicians or our our, our guests on the show is is where do you see our profession right now? Where where do we need to make some changes? What's going right for the vet tech profession? And and uh, are there things that that you have suggestions that we could do to fix some of the problems we're dealing with? Yeah, I think this is a great question. I actually have a positive outlook because I see a lot of great changes starting. I think we have to continue to go down the path of some of the things that we're seeing. And I think it's very scary. Like I feel we're on the edge of a cliff, but I also feel that we're prepared to dive off the cliff. Mm. So I know that, that in general, wages are not where we want them to be. But there's been dramatic dramatic growth in that corporations are now seeing what the value are um, for technicians and um, especially skilled and licensed or credential technicians. We have folks like yourselves who, if you asked you five years ago, would you be doing a podcast to just exclusively talk to technicians? <laughs> and you'd be like, um, no, if you asked me 10 years ago, you're going to be teaching and helping others learn how to be teachers and grow in the profession. I'd be like, <laughs> no, right? Like there's just so many more opportunities. And as, as negative as COVID was in our world, I think it opened up remote positions for people. It opened up opportunities for technicians who maybe felt they weren't a technician if they weren't on the floor anymore. And I felt that way sometimes, but there's just so many different concierge services. There's end of life services, there's hospice services, there's behavior and training run by technicians. There's, we all know, you know, technicians who are doing very well, who are creating their own training programs to help fellow technicians run by technicians, right? There's just, I don't know, I just feel like we're right on the verge of where it's just going to get better. It doesn't mean that we don't have problems. <laughs> we, we do, like we, we definitely do. We're working on that. There's definitely some challenges. And, and I think those challenges are going to be with us for a while. And it's not that I don't want to put attention on the challenges because you have to put attention on some of our, our, our problems in order to be able to fix them. You have to be able to talk about them openly. But I like to try to balance it a little bit, like focus on the good things that we're doing and how those are making an impact. And if we can see how that's making the impact, then maybe we can look back together to come and you know work on some of those challenges of whether it's, you know, what do you call us? You know, just all, all the different things that are, yeah. that are out there that are super out there. But personally, for me, I feel that the sky's the limit. If you want to do something, 
you can do it. You, you might have to create your own path. You might have to blaze your own path. It might not be easy in the beginning, but I feel where there's a will, there's a way, and you just have to kind of keep plugging at it and, and bring, you know, success to whatever success is for you, bring it to that level. Like I, I know technicians who they're like, listen, I really want to have a family and I still want my job. And they're able to manipulate a schedule that works for everything. Like there are, there are clinics that are urgent care clinics. There are ER clinics, there are GP clinics, there are, you know, large animals, small animals. So there really is an opportunity for anybody in vet med. It's just finding that opportunity sometimes I think is the hard part. And I really do think that vet med is starting to specialize a little bit more than it ever has. And I think that allows people to work where they're the happiest. And I, I think that's a big thing. So I, I do see challenges, but I just think we're on the verge of something great and that we're just starting to grow. And it's that scary leap that we have to take the step off and believe in ourselves or believe that we can go do something and go look for it. I, I didn't know that there were so many opportunities until starting listening to you guys. And I'm like, there is somebody who can do what? Like there's somebody yeah. who can just be a writer like a writer, like they, they mm -hmm. want to travel the world and they're a writer. I'm like, that's fascinating. Like there's, there's just so many things out there and now they're getting exposed and people are being, you know, more not proactive. That's not the word, but they're just being more um, aware of opportunities and able to go get them. So I'm, I'm hopeful. My, my word is I'm definitely hopeful for our profession. Well, and that's, I like that's kind of the like whole it. point of this podcast, right? Jeff was, Jeff and I, all we knew was clinic work. Like we didn't know anything mm -hmm. else. Right. And we were like, we're frustrated and burned out. What can we do that's different? And we're like, there's got to be somebody <laughs> mm -hmm. out there that's doing something different. And we was like, oh, I guess we got to find people to talk to. And I mean, what are we, three and a half, four years down the road? And we're, yes. still, yeah. Yeah. we're still finding new opportunities that we, we didn't know existed. So yeah, I, I totally agree that there are there's so much yeah. out there that yeah. we just don't know about that mm -hmm. we just have to go find. Or listen yeah. to our yeah. show and we'll and, tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And well, and and in that vein, you know, I mean, I, I said at the kind of at the outset of reading your bio, we we we've talked a lot about veterinary technician education on this podcast. Um, different program directors, um, different education paths, all of that. But you're you're doing it a little bit different with high school mm -hmm. students. So, um, and we're, we've got a lot to talk about there. But I, I guess my first question is, why high school students? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic question, right? One of the things is I feel the high school students are the beginning of the pipeline. So it's the very beginning when you are 14 and you're entering school and you're trying to figure out, do you want to do this or do you not want to do this? This is a great place to start learning. Um, I tell my students, all my fellow educators tell students all the time, you do not have to graduate our program and become the next CBT, the next DVM, the next something in, in veterinary medicine. As long as you are happy while you're in school and you're finding something that you like versus something you don't like, and you realize, oh, I always wanted to be a vet. And then all of a sudden you figure out that the vets aren't the ones who touch the animals the most, right? Like I, I know that I thought that the vets did absolutely everything until I started working in different hospitals when if sometimes if you wanted a catheter place, you did not call a vet, right? Like you called, you called the technicians over depending on what it is right now. I've, I've obviously, I'm not saying that a vet can't place a catheter. Of course they can. I'm just saying there are some people who are more skilled with different things. And I didn't know that there was those type of differences. So um, starting at the high school level, you see the awe and the wonder, like you really go from a student 
who's never held a rabbit before to being able to restrain a rabbit appropriately, or who's never seen a snake. And then now they're finding, they put a Doppler on to find the heart rate. And they're like, what? Like, that's how I can do that. Like just their eyes are amazed. And I am so fortunate at the location that I'm at that we literally are on a farm and we have animals everywhere and we have all kinds of animals. So I am so super fortunate. Not all educators um, have this opportunity and I'm, I'm crazy lucky that I do. But if I want to teach you about a cow, we walk down to a livestock barn and we go halter a cow and we go get a blood pressure on a cow and we go feel a femoral pulse and we look at their mucous membranes and see how nasty their mouth is, you know, whatever it is. But I, um, I didn't have, I didn't see that opportunity when I did a little bit of the college level and just the, um, honestly, the, I, everybody calls it, I think the aha moment where all of a sudden it clicks and you can see someone's face change and you can see them like, oh, I get it. And they get super excited about something that is really different at the high school level versus, um, you know, other times. Cause then I have done corporate um, and I didn't, I didn't always get that aha moment from adults. Like they're not as excited. People are like, yeah, you're a great blood smear, you know? And, uh, but the kids are, the, the students really are educated on that and not educated, but I should say energized by that. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so Jen, give us, a, give us a little look into what is, what does the curriculum look like? You know, um, you know, I think about like vet tech programs about how advanced some of the, that stuff gets, but how do you, mm-hmm. how do you tailor it to, to a high school audience? Cool. High school student. Perfect. So um, the DESE or the DESE is um, they create the framework. So um, DESE is the Department of Elementary Secondary Education. And they came together in 2014 with a group of a lot of people from industry and um, all sorts of folks were on the panel to create the um, um, the set of the veterinary science and um, some animal science uh, frameworks. So those frameworks are, think of it as a giant to-do list, like over a thousand items on this to-do list. One of them is to say, like, establish um, healthy behavior of an animal, establish unhealthy behavior of an animal, take a TPR on a cow, take a TPR on a dog, take a TPR, you know, like so on and so forth. So um, think of your technician level, but then step it down. So for most of us, um, when we went to school, we had 150 skills that we had to have sign off. You complete so many hours, you do so many internships. Um, At our school, the students, because they're going for that CVA, the Certified Veterinary Assistant credential, they have 200 classroom hours that they have to have, 300 clinical hours that they have to have as a vet assistant, and then they have 78 different skills that they have to have signed off saying that they can either proficiently demonstrate them or describe them. But the curriculum itself is individual to different schools. So in freshman year, when students come to most uh, vocational or technical schools, they will explore different shops within that school and from about September to about January. It's, it's a little bit different at every school, but in general, they explore different options. And then they are either um, they select the shop or the career area that they would like to be in. So starting from about January to February of their freshman year until their senior. So about three and a half years, they are studying a, a specific concentration. So at my school, they are selecting one of several opportunities to or three opportunities to work with animals. We have an equine science track. We have a companion animal track and we have a veterinary science track. 
So our students, when they come into the veterinary science, they're going to be focusing on in freshman year, they're going to be identifying species and breeds and animal handling and different AKC groups, like what is normal, what is abnormal, what is the general terminology to basically talk about animals, like all, all like kind of a crash course on the basics and super basic handling. And then sophomore year, it will grow into like exam room skills of taking a physical assessment, evaluating vitals, um, understanding how to take a history, communication with the public, animal health and nutrition, husbandry, basic care of, again, a wide variety of animals, and also anatomy and physiology for us is is our sophomore year. Um, Junior year will then grow into like the practical side of veterinary science. Um, Currently, the way that our schedule is set up, my juniors spend 25% of their time in the clinical setting and 75% of their time in the classroom. But you have to remember our classroom could be at the livestock barn or it could be in our rodent room or in our reptile room. It doesn't always mean a traditional classroom with desk, but because we are veterinary science, it will, it will have a lot of theory, you know, theory component to it. There is also in junior year, that's where they start learning about surgical assisting, uh, radiology, how to don and doff PPE appropriately, isolation, quarantine, um, identifying like the gazillion instruments, knowing how to use the autoclave, how to wrap, how to fold gowns, like all that type of good stuff. Um, And then they also have more of their practical physiology in junior year with us. And then senior year is really our advanced. Oh, and um, lab techniques come in in junior year. And then uh, in senior year is really more of the advanced skills. So like advanced lab techniques, um, advanced veterinary science. Um, That's where you're going to start understanding how to start charting anesthesia, how to understand a multi-parameter monitor. What's the difference between a Doppler blood pressure and metric blood pressure? How do you do some, you know, different things like that's where they're, you know, getting the vitals on a reptile will come in in senior year versus, you know, things like that. Um, And then our students in most uh, programs, they have an opportunity to go out to co-op. So for my particular school, students are um, set up so that they're able to go out about halfway through junior year. So some of the students, instead of coming to my class or coming into the clinic, they go out and work in a veterinary clinic starting in their junior year instead of coming to school. So they'll start working that way. And then often um, they'll keep that through senior year, depending. It's all dependent on the student in the clinic. But basically think about the two-year veterinary technician, but bring it down to the introductory level and spread it over like three and a half years, mm. if that makes sense. I yeah. don't know if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but some of no, it, totally some of it um, actually, it's uh, so it sets them up so well that some of their courses they can – at certain schools that we matriculate with, certain colleges, they will matriculate out and earn college credits for some of the classes that they take with us. That's awesome. So, yeah, so it saves them some money. Awesome, awesome. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, I was gonna ask you a little bit about that later down the road. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll circle back to that for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great opportunity. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, we are we, amazingly, we are more than halfway through our, <laughs> our talk. Oh my so, goodness, this is awesome. So this is awesome. We'll take wow. our little we'll take our little break here and have our our ad to pay some bills, and then we'll be back. We will be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. 
We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really like that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. everybody welcome back to the vet tech cafe it's not the veterinary viewfinder if you're looking for them they record in the basement on tuesdays uh this is the vet tech cafe um so jen we like to we like to come out of the bar our break uh we have our ad for better help and ask our our guests how do you manage your own mental health is there a way that you get away from veterinary medicine it sounds like you're doing a lot um so how do you manage your your own stress level and your your mental health yeah, um, definitely the dunks that I mentioned earlier. That is definitely, I have a little <laughs> bit of a commute now, um, so dunks brings me um, home. But um, honestly, one of the things I do, and I started this a lot during COVID, you just had to get outside, is I live very close to a mountain, Mount Wachusett. And um, so I hike Wachusett almost weekly. Mountain and skiing just getting out. Away. Yes, exactly. Yes. So um, we're on the other side, but I will um, hike up and down. And that is a great way as like a stress relief. We call it mountain therapy. Um, I drag a friend along. We solve all the world's problems, you know, while we're going up and down. No bears will ever come because we never stop talking while we do it. So <laughs> definitely people are like, oh, I want a peace and quiet. And here we are blabbing our way about everything. But I definitely love to get outside into nature. Um, and again, Wachusett's probably one of my closest favorite like hikes up and down. But um, recently I tried uh, watercolor painting. Okay. I'm not very good at it, but it is a little Zen-like and I try to do that. Um, so I'm getting a little bit better. Um, I have all the tools and supplies. I just don't use them all the time, but that <laughs> definitely helps me. And then the last thing I really do is gardening. So it's starting to be gardening season and yeah. um, I like to get out and kind of just get, you know, see how my gardens are doing and, and kind of just try to tend to them. I'm not great at it, but I, um, you know, I buy stuff and say, I hope you live and <laughs> yep. try to give yep. it a good home, <laughs> give I mean, it yep. some water. So you, you don't have to be great at your hobbies. You just have to enjoy them. Yeah. 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 That's just it. It's the enjoyment. Yeah. It's the joy enjoyment in doing them. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so those, those things help me. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I wanted to circle back with what we were talking about before the break. So you had kind of talked about or, or kind of introduced the idea of pipelines. So I'm curious mm. once these students graduate, um, I guess, assuming, or, or I guess really honestly, whether or not they got their CVA, where do they go from there? Do, do you guys mm. pipeline them into associates colleges or do you have those that, track all the way through and become veterinarians or like basically once they leave your tutelage, where do they go? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So a little bit of everywhere. 
um, at my current location, um, just last year, we had two students who graduated with their DVM. So they've gone oh, that's on awesome. far enough that time that they're a DVM. Um, and we have about seven in vet school right now. And recently, back around the holidays, December, I had some alumni um, come back. My fellow teachers and I kind of organized some alumni to come back to talk to our seniors about some career paths. And we have people a little bit of everywhere. So we have some people still in animal science. We have some people, um, UMass Amherst is a big um, school that a lot of our students go to because they can get credentialed there, but they can also get their bachelor's there and study if they do want to go on to do veterinary medicine. So I think last year's class alone, we had nine students go to UMass Amherst. But so we have students a little bit of everywhere. A good majority do track to um, stay in veterinary or animal related fields. It might be biology. It might be um, because they did get such a strong veterinary science education with us that they feel they want to round things out a little bit. Maybe they might want to go into the human side of things. So if you think about it, um, some of the other career paths at my school and other schools is um, a certified nurse assistant. But you can come into the actual surgical suite in our clinic and see surgery happening. A high school student doesn't have that opportunity if they're thinking about being a nurse or a doctor. So sometimes our students will come in to learn about, you know, blood and blood tests and surgery. And then they realize I'm really into this. And unfortunately, sometimes the pay does not match on the veterinary side versus the human side. And we're very open and transparent about that. And if people have a strong love for the lab or um, doing other things, then they will sometimes go to college for maybe their, um, you know, nursing or more sword, you know, more towards the human side of things, whatever that might be. Um, our current seniors right now, we have some students who are staying in the field. We have some students who are going into like physical therapy, I believe. Um, that could have been last year. Um, we have some going into education. We have, like we, we've, they, they're a little bit of everywhere. That's awesome. And it's, it's, but that's the whole point, right? Yes. Like, I, yeah. That, that's, that's so cool. That's, that's, yeah. That to me is what like actually sets you up for a good handle on this career is it's not just like we were talking about off air, I think at the very beginning, like it's not just five years in clinic and then you're bored. And so you leave, it's yeah. that you can do all any and all of these things with really just that one credential. And yeah, it's yeah, um, what's, oh, what's that's super so cool. nice is even some of our students who even do not want to stay in the veterinary field, choose to get the credential because it shows that they can have a strong commitment. They can pass a standardized mm -hmm. test. They can perform Ooh. skills. They can track a big project, break it down into small little projects. And it shows um, some of the skills are dealing with difficult clients. Some of the skills are working with team members. Some of the skills are attention to detail. So even if you're not staying in the veterinary field, it looks really good on your resume. And yeah, it helps when sure. colleges are very competitive. Um, it really helps some of our students stand out if they um, get this credential a little bit earlier rather than later. They can put it on their yeah. college applications. Or if they want to just say they don't want really anything to do with veterinary medicine anymore, but they're going to a school, they now are a CVA and they can be an assistant at the local clinic so they can have a part-time job and something that they're comfortable and that they're aware of. But if anything, it just sets them up for success because they 
need to be able to communicate with the public, taking those histories, working on the phone, doing callbacks, um, you know, doing reminder calls, things like that. They need to know how to do laundry because (laughs) (laughs) never runs out of laundry. So um, any of any of my students know how to do laundry. They can go off to college well. They can get their clothes clean. Um, So even if they don't stay in our field, um, they're they're building. They're building a lot of life skills um, that support them. And honestly, if you got to our field, you got to my career shop, you like animals. You're going to own an animal at some point in life. And if you know when that's a healthy behavior or that's not healthy and you know when to take them to the vet, I am so happy. Like that is like to me success. As long as they're happy in whatever career that they choose and they, you know, can take some of their education. And I tell them all the time, I said, if you tell anybody that you're in this field, Someone at Petco or PetSmart or out in your life is going to ask you, what should I feed my pet? What should I know about this? And even if you don't know the answer, if you know where to direct them, then that's good. At least you're sending them to a good, appropriate source. So Heck yes. Yeah. One thing I, I was curious about, you know, we, we talk, we've talked, like Jeff said, we, we've talked to a few people about education and, and, you know, curriculums and, and what's needed and what's being taught and all that stuff. And the topic mm-hmm. always comes up about, um, how do you handle like compassion fatigue and burnout and the stresses mm-hmm. of the job? Is that taught at the high school mm-hmm. level or is it, is it yep. more focused mm-hmm. on the skills? Oh, it is. Nope. We absolutely do. We, um, so we talk about suicide awareness month. We awesome. talk about um, that's great. May as mental. So that's in September. And then we do a uh, mental health month um, in May. We also, um, we do euthanasia like courses, if you will. And this is going to sound insane to anybody who's not in our field, But part of our euthanasia course, as we're talking about compassion fatigue and burnout and ways to prevent it, is talking about processing the remains. Because you have to understand my students, again, are by the time they get to me are 15, 16, they probably haven't had a family member pass away yet. They maybe haven't had an animal in their life pass away either. So now working in a clinic and we're the ones processing the remains, maybe doing the paw print, talking about how the human-animal bond works and why, you know, we do this and then putting the animal in, you know, just processing everything, listening for the heartbeat. We actually practice that with stuffed animals in in a classroom because it's very foreign to put something in a plastic bag. That is, that is not, that's not an innate skill. (laughs) That is a foreign skill, a weird skill to just even be near a deceased animal is foreign. So some of the things that we do when we're teaching is um, we do make claw prints play paw prints of animals on campus, but then we paint them in their holiday ornaments. So we try to talk about some of the different ways. So we, we teach the clay paw prints, we teach the ink paw prints, but then we talk about ways to like bring joy to it. Um, we really do focus on the human-animal bond um, and understanding that euthanasia um, truly does mean good death when things like that happen. And then in the unit about it, we actually challenge the students, if they were a manager of a clinic, what would they do to help prevent their team from reaching burnout. And it's amazing some of the things that they come up with. Um, So some students um, have shared with me like, oh, I'm going to give them their birthday off. I was like, okay, but let's go a little bit further. Um, We talk about schedules and we talk about um, making sure that your schedule matches the people in your life schedule and don't just take a job because it's a job, like make sure that's a job that fits and and things like that. So we we try to come at it from a few different angles, but it's definitely highlighted during when we're talking about euthanasia. That's great. That's that's amazing that you that's, kind of put yeah. them in that spot yeah. in that headspace that early on. That's so great. Um, so great. Our, our students need it. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, students, yeah. So I mean, our 
students are having a difficult time in life right now. So they need as much support structure as they can get. And um, when you have a student, the way that this type of education works is they're usually with me for about a week or me and my fellow teachers and then in their academic classes for about a week. So we're with them sometimes from morning to afternoon. You know, I mean, there's a health break or lunch or, or things like that. Different, different schedules are different at different schools. But um, when my students are on clinic rotation, I have them from 8-ish in the morning to 2.30-ish in the afternoon with about an hour break for their health and wellness and lunch. And so you spend a lot of time like, yeah. with your students. And so um, they, they need those supports to make sure that they're learning okay and that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to not have a good day and that we don't have to be happy all the time and that we have to be able to work through our emotions and our anxiety. I'm laughing because we had some alpacas on campus who um, are known to be feisty. And my seniors were in charge of uh, rounding them up, haltering them, getting a weight on them, and then we were vaccinating them. And our students don't really like to work with our alpacas because they like to spit when they get stressed. And so they had <laughs> very high alpaca anxiety. We had we did an alpaca anxiety lesson before we went and worked with the alpacas. Wow, that's and great. then we worked with them and we did fear-free methods. We did a lot of grain. We did a lot of treats. We did a lot of calming. We did a lot of practice. And then at the end, we came back and did a, you know, a debrief. Like, how did you feel? How was your alpaca, you know, alpaca anxiety? And they're like, it, it was fine. Like we, we were, we old, like we got so nervous about it, but students need to know how to work through their anxiety or their stresses or to talk about things like they are at the age where they're figuring things out and part of the curriculum, which I never knew, um, is to help them figure that out. So um, that was a big learning curve for me. But um, but yeah, it's definitely definitely the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Um, so let's talk about the CVA a little bit. You know, we haven't really had anyone yeah. on the program to talk about the CVA and, and it's it, it's a relatively new um, certification. Am I am I wrong in that? You're shaking your head. Yeah, no, it um it started in 1998. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow, we've been. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> so, don't know. um yeah. So the the competitive uh, to the CVA is the AVA and that started in 2011, but um 1998 is when the first CVA wow. okay. um, was actually Interesting. Yeah. I know we have it in California. Um mm -hmm. it's actually through the CVMA. It's not mm -hmm. like a like a, you know, a program like a um you know, but it's not, it's not recognized in statute or, or anything mm -hmm. like that at, at this point in time. But, um, it, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a really good thing. It's just a matter of getting people into it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. I, um, I feel for veterinary assistance, there is not a lot of stature or credentialing and in a lot of practice acts, you guys know, sometimes veterinary technicians are not even mentioned. So assistants definitely aren't mentioned. Yeah. Um, and sometimes assistants are the afterthought of what technicians, like we say what technicians can do. And then whatever's left over is sometimes assistance. So this program, the, the CVA that we do through TVMA is different. It focuses on assistance and builds their skills on what they can do. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the CVA, again, accredited, or I shouldn't say accredited, I should say organized by the Texas Veterinary Medical Association is recognized nationwide, but it is who um, basically organizes it, controls the renewals, like, you know, all that type of good stuff. And for our students, and if you're going through the TVMA program, 
Um, again, they need 200 classroom hours, 300 clinical hours, and the 78 skills to be signed off that can be demonstrated or described. And interestingly enough, AHA just adopted it as well as a program that they're doing. So they're, they're working with Dallas College and the TVMA to help folks get the, the CVA credential. And there's, there's three levels. We focus on level one. And in fact, um, shout out to my students who just took, um, so four more just took it today and passed. So I'm super proud of them. But it is a great learning opportunity to, again, have a really big project ahead of you and to break it down into little pieces and kind of work on that. So it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity, but it does, it does encompass exotics, large and small animal pretty much equally Hmm. where the, um, the AVA, which is by NAFTA, the competitive kind of, or the, I don't want to say alternative, but the two main um, credentials out for assistance, um, they also will cover large animal and exotics, but it's at an optional and it's, it's required Hmm. for the CVA. So it's a little bit different. I am learning so gotcha. much today. Gotcha. I know for sure, yeah. for sure. And it's a little bit different. You've talked, it's nice to have options. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you've talked a bit here about the hands-on part to this and, and learning mm-hmm. all the skills, especially as they progress through the program and, and go from freshman to senior. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, outside externships, like, do they go and rotate through hospitals? And so I, I'm curious, like, as as high school students, like – thinking about those maybe that aren't 18 yet, like that's, Mm -hmm. that's very different than somebody in a tech program externing through. So talk about that a little bit, like some of the differences and some of like, like the hands-on stuff in clinics, because they're a little bit younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So 18 is a magic number. 18 is the magic number for x-rays, right? X-rays. And usually, (laughs) usually legalities are like, like kind of 18, but um, our students don't participate in rotating internships. They participate in co-ops. So co-op stands for cooperative education. So our students um, will, some of them will go out to the co-op or cooperative education. So they'll go to a clinic and they are hired by that clinic. They are hired as a veterinary assistant. They are on their payroll. They are covered um, both with school insurance and with the clinic's insurance. Um, so that is a little bit of a, a nice, you know, protection level mm-hmm. for, the, uh, for the clinic that they're hired at and also um, for the school. And then they have a specific mentor at that location that reports back to how that student is doing when they're out there. Um, those 78 skills, we give those to our students um, at the end of their sophomore year. It is their responsibility. It's like a scavenger hunt to go get those skills signed off. So sometimes they will happen naturally in a class. If we are um, working our cows through a shoot just to get them comfortable with it, that is one of the skill sign offs. Then the teacher might say, okay, you are proficient at doing that. Give me your folders. I'll sign off your skills. If you weren't proficient, like let's talk about this. Let's practice it again another time until you're able to do it safely and proficiently. And some other skills on there, like one of the skills is muzzles a fractious animal. We don't have our students muzzle fractious <laughs> animals. So that is going to be something that they describe or they might demonstrate it on a stuffed animal. Mm, um, yeah. We do have some barn cats and we joke sometimes like, hmm, maybe we'll have them. No, like, no, we don't. We will never do that. But, um, but so that would be something that they would describe that skill. So they don't rotate through their different co-ops. They will rotate to different places on campus and rotate into our clinic, like our campus on um, our clinic on campus, 
But once they go out to co-op, that's like their job that they're at for the rest of their junior year or their job for um, senior year. So it's a little bit different than a tech program where you're exposed to like maybe six different um, rotations, depending on your program. This one, the student chooses a location that's near them. And then that also is hiring, you know, one of our students. And then it often does turn into a summer job and it can also be after school and um, many of our opportunities love our students so much that they usually write to us and say, we need more students. Like, do you have someone that's ready to send? Um, and because we have those working relationships, not all students need to be 18. But we do have mm. some partnerships that they do have to be 18 to work at. Sure. Some of our sure. larger, bigger places. Um, depending. Yeah, makes sense. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Did, that, did I answer that okay? Like, yeah. yeah oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. okay Absolutely. perfect. Okay, perfect. Um, and so are there other states that have, I, I know you're, you're primarily in Massachusetts, but are there other states that mm -hmm. have this type of curriculum for high school students? Mm -hmm. Oh, there are. Yeah. Yeah. It's Where? nationwide. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, almost Where? any school. So well, not any school, but any, um, especially any agricultural school, they will have this, but you can also look at some technical or vocational schools. And one of the things, if anybody's interested in becoming a teacher, um, and learning to see if they have opportunities near them. Um, there is a website called www.schoolspring.com. And you can just type in, you can rotate it down, you know, select it down, filter it by your state. You can put in animal or veterinary and it will mm -hmm. pop up if there's um, opportunities near you. And depending if it's high school level or middle school level or because um, there are all sorts of different opportunities out there. Wow. Super yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Um, is there anything, because we're kind of approaching our hour here, just curious, is there anything we haven't touched on or talked about yet or, you know, anything that we haven't asked you that you want to get across to our listeners? Um, really just that this is an amazing, to be a high school educator is an amazing opportunity for CBTs. It's not something that I thought I would ever do Um I'll never say never. It's not something that jumped to my forefront when I was going to tech school. I thought I was going to work in a clinic and maybe work in different kinds of clinics, but I never thought that I'd be working in a high school. But this is a fantastic opportunity. If you love, you have to love people, obviously. And I know sometimes we say, um, <laughs> you know, we go in because of the animals, right? But <laughs> if you think of all my jobs, like cosmetology, people, flight attendant, people, like, you know, just like people, I don't mm -hmm. love people, but I work with, you know, I can work with people well. And, but with that being said, because just like our animals, our students have caregivers and we need to be able to communicate well with our students and communicate mm -hmm. well with the caregivers. So if you think if you're someone who can explain things well, if you liked when things were explained well to you, you had a teacher that really stood out to you. Um, you're kind of thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm just burnt out. My body can't do this anymore definitely look at teaching. So it is one of the fastest growing things, um, at least in Massachusetts, never mind nationwide, but more and more and more schools are putting veterinary clinics on their campuses. And it is such a unique blend to be able to still be in a clinic. Like I still do my clinical things in, in there, but I'm also teaching students, you know, at the same time, it's just such a unique opportunity. And um, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. So I, I just, my big thing is I just really wanted people to know about it because, because we need you, we need you. Don't leave the right. profession, stay in the profession. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, is there a person or a topic that you think we should highlight on a future episode? Um, so I was thinking a little bit about this. So the one 
kind of topic and you've touched base with a couple people, but I would, I personally would love to know more about how do you get into a zoo? Um, Because a lot of my kids want my students, they really want to work in a zoo and I can connect them with a couple people that have been on your podcast and on Instagram, like we try to connect, but I, I just don't know if there's a more direct path to try to help them with that. Zoos and marine biology are the two big things that my students are really interested in that I don't, I don't know how to get them there all the time. But someone that I would like you to um, maybe talk to is we have a small animal manager who is also a CBT. She's a graduate from um, Essex Tech, which is where I teach. And she um, is our small animal manager overseeing the care and husbandry and health of over 150 animals. Mm. Um, Her name is Mariah Fortuna. And I think that is a career, another option that a CVT has to be able to know, again, to administer medications, to be able to take doctor's directions, to follow through. um, And for such a wide variety of animals, I think it would be fascinating because, again, more and more schools have more opportunities like this and there have to be other people out there. And I, I didn't even know that that job existed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Love it. All right. And now Jen, we are down to your, would you rather question? Are you ready Uh, for it? I think so. (laughs) So I think so. I hope so. You've got to pick one, two or three. I'm going to pick three. Three. All right. Usually everyone picks two. Finally somebody. Yeah. yeah, Finally somebody didn't pick number two. Um, so I heard you mention in there that you have kids. So this, this might be a, a question you've already fur had kids. to deal with. I, when I, when I say kids, oh. I mean my students. Okay. Then this I will, only have fur kids. Then this, this yeah. would be a good question. Would okay. you rather have hair in your food or food in your hair? Oh, well, I mean, I have hair in my food every day. So I have pets. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm usually eating in the clinic with a tongue depressor. So. I think the question is geared towards human hair, not pet hair. Oh, 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 okay. That's a different story. That's gross. Um, I think I'd rather have food in my hair. It is grosser. I don't know why, (laughs) but um, I guess I'd rather have food in my hair as long as someone will tell me. So I'll like take it out. Yeah. I I guess for me, it would depend on what, what the food was that's in my hair. Oh, okay. Fair, fair, fair. That's That's a fair statement. For me, it's it's got to be well, food in my hair because there is none of my hair in my food. And that means if there's true. hair in my food, it is definitely from somebody else. It is oh, not from me. Oh, my goodness. I, we joke that my dog is the best shedder ever is what we say. So there's always her glitter floating around. Yep. So we'll sit down oh. to dinner. I'm like, how did your glitter get in our meal already? But, so... I love it. That's great. Um, Well, Jen, thank you so much for taking some time out to to talk to us about this um, because it's it's truly unique and and honestly fascinating to hear about. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But like getting high school students and we've talked many times about the pipeline and veterinary medicine and and getting them in at the right time, but getting them also in in the right way. And I think some Mm -hmm. of the things that you described, how you handle it is really, really beneficial for how their careers are going to play out. So super fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for taking some time out. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank thank you so much for having me guys. This is a highlight, definitely a highlight and an honor. So thank you. Very welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, caffeinators, um, that wraps it up for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Um, We hope you guys are doing well and we will talk to you again soon. Bye guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. 
They don't just do social media, they can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators. We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.